Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much for tuning in last week. We love seeing all of the views and downloads. It's amazing. Yes, and I'm so excited. We finally have our own website up. Yes. So you can check us out at seasforcreepy.com. Yay. That's super exciting. <laughs> yes. And we've also got a Patreon started. Um, we're just getting content kind of going, but you can find us at seasforcreepy. Um, I think what I'll do, what we will do is maybe do a poll and see if what people kind of want to see on there. So we'll start doing some polls on Instagram. Um, right now, subscription subscriptions for any bonus content would be $5. But like I said, we'll do some polls and see what people would like from us. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm so, so excited. I'm so excited. That's I've been working on this for a little bit. So. And then hopefully at the beginning of next month, we will have some even bigger news. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get it figured out. But yes, I'm so excited. Yes, me too. So what is your case on today? The letter T. So this week for T, I am covering trophy killers. Like keeping fingernails trophy killers? Yes. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna do something different, but I thought of this and was like, "Yes, <laughs> must do it while it's in my mind." <laughs> I like it. Okay, so yes, in this instance, I'm gonna specifically cover why some killers collect trophies or mementos from people they have killed because it's they're creepy. Well, yes, but there's more. <laughs> okay. My bastardized answer is not not oh. quite up to par. Well, <laughs> it's up to a uh, par, just not my par. <laughs> okay. So looking into human behavior, it's not a huge leap that killers take items or pieces of their victims as trophies. Um, people collect a variety of objects for mo- a multitude of reasons. Oh, 100%. I can't go to a lake without stealing rock. Yeah. Don't know why. But I just take the rock. It's cool and you want it. Yeah. (laughs) So generally these reasons are linked to pride, um, feeling a part of a group. So like if you've got a niche thing that other people collect, then maybe those are your people. So you collect those too. I'm thinking like bottle train people. (laughs) You know what came to mind was plants. Yeah. Yeah. Like plant people. (laughs) They're out there. They are out there. Mm-hmm. I don't crystals. I don't know any. Like, crystals definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just some people take it to the extreme, and there's always those. Yeah. There's always those. So, like I said, feeling a part of a group. Some people collect for profit. So those are people that like collect stuff to sell them and like make stamps. A profit. Stamps. Um, coins. People that collect like vintage or antique furniture to either restore and then resell but they usually hoard it and then sell it Mm -hmm. oh and there's also like um so lots of times people will collect stuff from their childhood 
So those could be for like nostalgic purposes to like reminisce when they were a child and maybe happier times because as we all know in adulthood things tend to get down a little bit sometimes so looking back on happier times might be done through the collection of like a toy or something like that. Yeah definitely. Yeah so there's a lot of different reasons. Generally like the psychology I was reading they're generally like selfish reasons like it's in the sense that it's beneficial only to the collector, right? Like, nobody else gains anything from that. I would like to think that Jeffrey gains clean air from my plants. <laughs> I feel like he begs to differ because yes. they've officially, like, taken over the house, but he gets clean air. Well, uh, like I said, <laughs> that's secondhand oxygen. <laughs> yeah, it's in the eye of the beholder. But I can definitely see that, how, like, a lot of these collections or hordes mm-hmm. definitely is only for the one person that brings them happiness. Yes. So at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to is I want this. It makes me feel good for whichever reason that I listed. Mm-hmm. That's what it boils down to. So it's not a leap that these killers, oh, I just killed someone. I'm going to want to keep that. I want to remember this. Can you please tell this entire story in that voice? <laughs> There's no way I would crack so many times. <laughs> I love your Elise Killer voice. It's pretty great. It's like Southern Alberta. <laughs> okay, but to be fair, <laughs> it's not a far leap. It's not a stretch. <laughs> Okay, so according to the A to Z Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Harold Schechter and David Everett, while the term trophies and souvenirs can be used interchangeably by the FBI, uh, they, they do have specific definitions for each. Okay. To quote the text directly, souvenirs are defined as items that are used to fuel the fantasies of serial killers whereas trophies are objects saved for proof of their skill okay some believe that it is this overconfidence in their abilities as to why serial killers take trophies they might feel invincible to the law and keeping proof of their crimes and not being caught further fuels that ego but from the outside in unless you are in the killer's perspective how do you know the difference between a trophy and a souvenir. Couldn't answer that. Okay. Maybe it's also a little bit of like trophies are displayed. Maybe. That could be part of it. Souvenirs like if it's are something hidden. That are, yeah. I like that. Because if I, I like was that. stealing people's underwear, I'd be hiding them. <laughs> what? You wouldn't want to frame them? No. <laughs> okay. Like I have a dog that eats underwear, so like they wouldn't last long. <laughs> So I like your explanation. I, I think we should stick to that one. Maybe that's the difference. Could be. Okay. They didn't specify. It just said that they could be used interchangeably, but those were the definitions that were set by the FBI in like 1996. God damn it, FBI. You gotta give us all the information. I know. So let's talk about what kind of items a killer might take. So the most notable examples of this are killers who take body parts from their victims. So some real-life examples include eyeballs, skulls, feet, breasts, 
And that's just to name a few. <laughs> what weird ones to name? I just, I picked the weirdest. <laughs> okay. Because, like, I would think, like, a finger, an ear. No. No, we're going to take a breast. Just, actually, yeah, somebody just took one. There's, then he moved up to two. He, one wasn't Like, what do you do with them after? Like, do you just plop them on the counter and wait for them to decompose? Do you, like. Uh, He put them in the freezer, this person. I'm not covering him yet. I'll get to him eventually. Put them in the freezer. I. That way they wouldn't decompose. <laughs> that way you could just keep them. What a weird fucking thing to take. Mm-hmm. Out of every po- body part, I'm I'm struggling with that one. <laughs> I think it would be weirder if you took a butt cheek. <laughs> but that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So those are the body parts that I decided to name. Other mementos of their crimes could be photographs of the victims, mm-hmm. um, but it could also be jewelry, ID cards, shoes, and other clothing. Okay. Some who have researched this behavior say regardless of the item or body part collected, these items could be classified as fetish objects. So the reason for this is that they allows the killers to relive the acts they have committed mm-hmm. and like derive sexual pleasure from it. I notice that a very common theme with trophy killers are they are usually a sexually motivated killer. Okay. So I think that's also an important distinction. Okay. It also helps, like, them collecting this object makes them feel powerful. Because they get, like, they have the ability to relive that experience over and over. And this is an object that can propagate that. Okay, so circling back to the tits. In the freezer. <laughs> how does he know which one is from what crime? You know, I don't know how he would. Maybe they were different. I mean, breasts do look very different. But, like, you're in the heat of a moment taking someone's boob. Like, he's got to put them in Ziploc bags and, like, date them. <laughs> I'm really finding it funny how are you struggling with this. I'm I'm struggling. <laughs> I I am. I promise I'll cover him so we can get to the specifics of that. Please do. I will look into it further. I need to know if they're in Ziploc bags. Like, how do you know which boob is from which person from which crime scene? Like I said, boobs look very different, so... They do, but, like, in a lineup, I couldn't... I think this guy also took photographs. Okay. I think so. Don't quote me. (laughs) I don't even know his name. I just remember that he started with one and he took two from the other Okay. From the other woman. Sorry. We will get there. We'll get to it. We'll get Continue to it. Continue on. <laughs> other thoughts on killers who collect trophies um, is that they make this a part of their signature. So, like, when we get in, we'll get into, like, MO, so modus operandi and signatures. All killers have an MO, but not all killers have a signature. Okay. Okay. This tends to refer to the emotional psyche of the offender. So signatures are not required to commit a crime. Mm -hmm. Some killers just have them. Yeah. Taking these trophies could be a part of the killer's fantasies. So, for example, Jeffrey Dahmer, who kept the skulls of men he killed because he did not want to be alone or feel rejected. That was his signature, was keeping them. Mm -hmm. And that was his explanation. Well, like, I fantasized about not being rejected. I fantasized about having someone who could not leave. So I kept them. 
Okay. These fantasies tend to develop long before the offender kills, so when finally acted upon, these become a part of the murder ritual. So it does become a habit. They might not even really consciously realize that they're taking them, these items, but it once again, like, it's a part of the fantasy. They get to relive it. Uh-huh. So that's my fun facts. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm still going on in my head thinking about the boobs, but please continue. <laughs> Try and come up with every possible explanation. <laughs> I don't know why. I probably, oh fuck, I should have covered him, but I did not. <laughs> you didn't know that that's what would get me. I did not. I was just like, oh, that's fun, <laughs> which is awful now that I said that. But Interesting. Yes, it's different. It's yes. different. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. So this week's case kind of works two ways. So the first being that, obviously, this killer did collect trophies from his victims, but the other way is super fucked up. Okay. So when I first thought of trophy killers, I mixed up the words and I thought of trophy hunters. So, like, the people that hunt exotic animals, animals. for sport. Mm-hmm. With, like, the exp- like I'm just hunting you for fun. I'm not going to use any of you. You are going to be a picture, or I'm going to skin you and make your attacks. Right? Yeah. So, it works that way, too. Didn't you already do this with Ed Gein? Not like that. His victims were... You'll, we'll get to it. I promise you we'll get to it. But it's fucked up. Brace yourself. <laughs> Just once, please. Just once. I would like to leave here not sad. Sometimes you're not. Once in a while, I kept rolling in. Okay. Okay. This is the case of Robert Hansen, also known as the Butcher Baker. No. The name is misleading. Okay, we're not like we're not cooking people. Okay, we're not okay, baking. Okay, okay. Them. We're not butchering them and baking them. The okay. name is misleading. Okay, we're not Sweeney Todding. No, no cool. Sweeney Todd. Okay, <laughs> I saw your face. Like for the love of fucking God, Elise. <laughs> we'll get there one day, but not today. It's a different kind of fucked up. Okay. Okay. Robert Christian Hansen was born on February fifteenth in nineteen thirty nine in Easterville, Iowa. Hansen was the firstborn child to his parents. His father was a Danish immigrant and was known to be a strict disciplinarian. As is par for the course for that time frame. Yes. The family moved to California for a short time before moving back and settling in Pocahontas, Iowa. I double-checked it is Pocahontas named after the person. So, I just think. I, I was like, am I going to pronounce this correctly? Or Okay. So, yes, I, I made sure. Okay. If not, please let me know. Kristen Hansen, Robert's father, owned and worked at a bakery. Hansen helped his father at his bakery and worked long hours there from a young age, which would have prevented any chance of socialization with members of his peer group to go dramatically down. Right? Mm-hmm. At school, Hansen was further ostracized. He had a stutter brought on allegedly from being forced to use his right hand when he was left-hand dominant. Uh He also suffered from severe acne, and these 
accumulated to Hanson being very shy and just being socially awkward. Um, he was picked on and rejected by pretty girls that he lusted after as a teen, and this rejection caused Hanson to hate them. Like it does. Oh, man. Described as a loner, when Hansen wasn't working at his father's bakery, he was out in the woods hunting large game. Large game? Yeah. So, like, deer. Wow. Okay. That kind of stuff. In 1957, after his graduation, Hansen joined the U.S. Army Reserves. Serving in the reserves once a month gave Hansen the opportunity to further improve his skills as a marksman. After, Hansen continued to work at the bakery, but he would also occasionally volunteer as an assistant drill sergeant at the police academy. Okay. So, like, he was still, like, a, a member of society. He was still respected, so. Okay. Okay. Maybe he was just, like, his time was up and took mm, a discharge. Yeah, or maybe he was, like, looking for a full time and, like, the reserves were like, no, you're good here. So, there, yeah. there's multiple reasons. Okay. Why he might have left. When Hansen was 21 years old in 1960, he fell in love and married his first wife. Despite the fact that Hansen had worked to make a decent life for himself, he still had a burning resentment for society that he chose to deal with by committing arson. <laughs> you know what? There's worse ways. Nope. Was there people in the buildings? Or was it just, like, empty buildings? Well... He was resentful to teenagers as a 21-year-old, and he set the... He was caught after burning the school bus garage for the local high school down and was sentenced to three years in prison. Okay. Hansen actually recruited a fellow bakery worker to help him with the crime, and this friend was the one that turned him in. Which is really interesting to me, like, the fact that he was so such a social outcast like the time that he brings someone into like i I heard that he, like the what i read was that he was kind of like forced this person to help him oh okay so like when he tries to get someone into his group that person turns on him i don't yeah. know i just found that really interesting okay while in prison his wife divorced him hansen was released after released after serving 20 months in prison even though he was found to have an infantile personality and wanted revenge against those who wronged him. Okay. After his release, Hansen was in and out of prison a few more times for petty theft. He met and married his second wife in Pocahontas in 1963. He started a family with this woman, and the pair had two children together. His second wife stuck by him despite the multiple times Hansen was in and out of jail for theft, and then the family eventually moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 1967. What happened to the first wife? She divorced him while he was in prison the first time. Kind of sounds like she uh, she probably did the best in this entire story. I believe so. Okay. I've got a feeling. She's like, this marriage is up in the smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or she's like, why didn't you invite me to burn shit down? Yeah, you can trust this guy. Look I'd be pissed, went. actually. You know what? That's a great point. Joey went and burned something down and didn't invite me. Like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of marriage? Yeah. Like, you invited some rando that went and ratted you out. Yeah, we legally can't turn on each other. Like, we can't. Right? Not not that we're burning shit down, down, people, but... No, um, but, you know, I just I would like be... the invitation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I want to be included. <laughs> this Especially is Especially from my husband. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's why she divorced him. <laughs> Hands down. Because I would divorce Jeff over that. <laughs> so they moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 1967. So now 28 years old, Hansen seemed to be in the prime of his life after he finally found a place where he could flourish. He was said to be living well in his new community, and Hansen opened up a bakery in the downtown mini-mall. While living in Anchorage, Hansen grew a reputation for being an avid outdoorsman, breaking several local hunting records. Hansen was proficient using rifles and a bow and arrow, and brought down sheep, wolves, and bear. Wow. He also started to take flying lessons. Despite Hansen seemingly turning his life around and overcoming the trauma of his youth, things were not what they seemed. He masked very well? Yes. Okay. Well, in 1972, Hansen was arrested twice for the abduction and attempted rape of a housewife and the rape of a, of a sex worker. Okay. These charges were significantly reduced after receiving a plea bargain, and despite having a five-year sentence, Hansen was released to a halfway house after only being in prison for six months. Hmm. Again in 1976, Hansen was charged with larceny after stealing a chainsaw from a local store. Despite pleading guilty and being sentenced to five years, the Alaska Supreme Court overturned the verdict after he appealed. His sentence was deemed too harsh, and he was released with time served. I'm sorry, so he's been charged with burning houses down, a, petty a, theft, a, gra a garage, yes. okay, arson, yeah, <clears throat> and then he was charged with petty theft, mm -hmm. and then he was charged with rape. Mm -hmm. Well, he so attempted well, rape. Yeah, he was a charge. He was charged with the abduction and attempted rape, and part of his plea agreement was that the rape charges would be dropped against the sex worker. Is nobody seeing the escalation here? No. No? No. Like, what was he going to do with the stolen chainsaw? Right. I'm sorry, his last charge was abduction and attempted. allegedly yeah. attempted rape. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not here for it. Mm -mm. Nope. It, it gets worse. While in prison, Hansen underwent a psychiatric evaluation where he was found to have bipolar disorder and was prescribed lithium to manage his mental illness. He was not, um, like, there's no follow-up, though, to make sure that he was continuing his medication. Because why would there be? It's the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, Hansen went to purchase a Piper Super Cub bush plane Despite not being able to acquire a pilot's license, though, due to, like, having it on record that he was on this medication. Okay. Still went and bought a plane. No red flags there. Speaking of red flags, <laughs> in June of 1983, a 17-year-old girl was seen running barefoot with handcuffs around her wrist. Cindy Paulson had been offered $200 to perform oral sex on Hansen, to which she agreed, and got into his car. Once in the car, Hansen pulled a gun on the teenager and threatened her if she did not comply. He drove her to his house in Muldoon, which is like a suburb in Anchorage. Wait, where his wife and kids lived? Get to that. Okay. Where he chained her by the neck 
to a post in the basement and repeatedly raped and tortured her. His family was on vacation in Europe at the time, and, like, he did that by design. Okay. He sent them to Europe. Okay. After hours of this torture, he loaded Paulson back into the car and drove her to Merle Field Airport, where he told her about his intentions to take her to his cabin. While Hampton was loading supplies into the bush plane, Paulson saw her chance and made an escape, leaving her blue sneakers in his car as evidence that she had been in there, which is so fucking smart. Mm -hmm. Paulson managed to run and flag down a passing truck on 6th Ave. So she ran for a little ways. Mm -hmm. The man driving the truck who was alarmed by the 17-year-old girl's appearance, stopped and took her to a nearby inn. After dropping Paulson off, the driver continued to drive to work, and once he got there, he called the police, just in case, like, hey, something's up. Mm -hmm. Police picked up Paulson and took her to the Anchorage Police Station for further questioning. Once in police custody... Paulson described the perpetrator and what this man had done to her, as well as his intentions to fly her out of town. Paulson described Hansen perfectly, including his stutter, and she even identified his plane, like down to the num, like the serial numbers, like the wow. big numbers on the tail. Be like, that's the guy. Despite this description. Police were hesitant to bring Hansen in for questioning. Oh, why? The the baker was well-liked and got along with people in the community, even though he had the occasional run-in with the law. I'm I'm not here for it. No. No. Let me guess, she was asked what she was wearing. I'm saying, though, this guy was already charged with attempted rape, and this girl... Said that she was raped by this man. I don't know if that hesitation would be there. Uh, but, like, she described him to a T. All they would have had to do was look in his car and see if her sneakers were there. Go to his house and look at a chain, like, a post in the basement. Does it look like somebody was chained up down here? Mm-hmm. Nobody thought to just, you know, cross some T's and dot some I's. Well, he was brought in for questioning. Mm, was a DNA test site taken and then just not dealt with for 20 years? No. Oh, good. When questioned by police, Hansen admitted to knowing the girl, but he claimed that she was setting him up as she was trying to extort more money from him. Hmm. Yeah, by increasing the price for her service. It is also claimed that he said, quote, you can't rape a prostitute, end quote, at this hmm. time. His demeanor and the fact that he had friends give solid alibis, which I should say were lies, prevented him from being a serious suspect. Wait, his friends lied for him? Yep, he had two friends to lie for him. I'm sorry, if somebody's saying that you chained them up in their basement, I'm not lying for you. I mean, fair. But... Unless, like, they were real pieces of shit. (laughs) Then maybe I'd lie for you. I'm glad there's a line. <laughs> there is. If it's just like some like 17-year-old girl just trying to live her best life, girl, I'm throwing you under the bus. Don't worry, I don't have any posts that are good for chains, so. 
That's out. <laughs> Good. Nor do you have a plane. Nor do I have a plane. This is bullshit. I know. <laughs> okay. So the allegations did trouble police, however, as it seemed as though the county had a serial killer on its hands. But nobody's died yet. Okay. Get to, I'm getting to it now. I like the wink you just gave me. <laughs> oh, somebody died. <laughs> Few people did. On July 21st, 1980, so three years before Cindy Paulson. Okay. The body of an unidentified woman was found, having been stabbed a number of times. Ooh. Known as Eklatna Annie, due to the location of her remains being near Lake Eklatna, her age was determined to be around 16 to 25 years old. Not long after, the body of another woman was discovered, this time near Nick River. The remains of 24-year-old Joanna Messina was found in a gravel pit. Messina had been a local topless dancer, but despite her identification, cause of death was unable to be found. Oh. Police suspected the possibility that the two women's murders might be connected. Okay. Two years passed before another body was found. September 12, 1982, the remains of Sherry Moreau were found by hunters near the Nick River. The hunters had noticed a shallow grave and alerted authorities. Morrow had been reported missing the year before. There was three gunshot wounds to her back, and ammunition found nearby suggested that she was shot by a two twenty three Ruger Mini, which is a hunting rifle. Okay. Probably the most disturbing fact about the discovery of Morrow's body was that despite being discovered wearing clothes, there was no evidence that what she was wearing had been shot at. There was no gunshot wounds to her clothing. This indicated that she had been nude when she was shot and then dressed before her body had been buried. Oh. Morrow was also a topless dancer like Messina. So there's a common theme of uh-huh. people that work in a sex industry. Yep. I'm not saying that like topless dancers are... No, but it is a known fact, fact that they are more targeted. Yes, exactly. And it, it's a problem. It is. Convinced now that the three murders were committed by the same person, the detective assigned to the case named Glenn Cloth contacted the FBI for help identifying the perpetrator. Special Agent John Douglas was able to give a criminal profile based on the woman's remains. He theorized that the killer was an experienced hunter with low self-esteem. Douglas also thought that the killer would have a history of being rejected, would keep souvenirs, and might suffer from a stutter. Oh. Lo and behold, using this profile, Detective Floth came upon Robert Hansen, a man who is the exact match, and he also owned a bush plane. Uh-huh. After the attack of Cindy Paulson led the police to Robert Hansen, who was let go because he had such a strong alibi, uh-huh. the detective pushed deeper and it was revealed by Hansen's friends that they had lied for him. So he was now the number one suspect. Nice. 
Armed with warrants now for Hansen's home, plane, car, and cabin, police worked at building a case against the now 44-year-old man. An aviation map was discovered in Hansen's headboard in his home. On the map were X's. Oh, no. Some of the locations is where bodies had already been discovered. Mm-hmm. Chillingly on the map, there was about 24 X's. Oh, God. And the basement of his home as well was a well was a stash of jewelry that was found as well. One of the necklaces found belonged to one of the murder victims. Like, they could directly link it because oh. it was custom made for her. Oh. In custody, Hansen denied allegations as long as he could, even when faced with the mounting evidence. He had the murder weapon, the map, trophies from their victims such as jewelry, and they also found ID cards. Finally, matching the shell cases was what broke Hansen to confess the truth to what he had done. Mm-hmm. He was a serial rapist and a murderer who blamed women for what they had done to him. Was he ever abusive to his wife? I. She is very silent. Like, there is... Are they still married? No. Oh. No, they're no longer married. Okay. But, yeah, she did not want anything to do with, like, any publications or from what i was able to find i could see nothing in their per- about their personal life okay he had started raping and sexually assaulting teenage girls starting in mm. 1971 so just a couple of years after he moved to anchorage mm-hmm. he would threaten them into silence and as he grew more confident in the ability to get away with these crimes I mean, he was caught sexually assaulting women or attempting to, and he served six months. So, of course, his confidence is growing. Yeah. This fueled him as he started to lure sex workers and exotic dancers with the promise of money for sexual favors. And most people believe that this shift in his victimology was due to the fact, like, it's the 70s, there's the pipeline in Alaska being built, so... A lot of sex workers were starting to move up there, mm-hmm. right? They're not, they don't have fruits. They're not easy to trace. It's not like people would necessarily go looking for them. Whereas yeah. these teenage girls have families. Mm-hmm. So that was the thought in that shift. Mm-hmm. So like it was planned. It was intentional. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. He wanted to get away with it. Gross. Having been described as the perfect dork, these working women would feel safe as though they had no reason to fear him. He was the nice guy. He was. Like, he, I'll have pictures of him, but, like, he's got glasses. He's, like, just a typical white dude-looking guy. Just not, like, really dorky-looking, but, like, just your average basic white dude. Okay. Probably not aggressive, so he didn't no. seem... Like, in his stutter, made him seem, like, shy, and, like, he had that shy demeanor, so... I'm really curious how the FBI agent knew he would have a stutter. Honestly, I love criminal profiling. It is fascinating, and I'm thinking, maybe for Patreon, I might do a deep dive into it. Oh, that'd be so awesome. I'm thinking about doing that, but... Because it's such a fascinating topic. 
Okay. So I'll definitely get more into like how they determine these things. Okay. Once in his car, he would transport these women, so they were between the ages of 16 and 41, to the airplane hangar where he would fly them to his cabin. Once in the Alaskan wilderness, Hansen would force these women to act out his sexual fantasies. Those who submitted to them were assaulted, and then he would take them back to town under the threat of death. Mm -hmm. Those that did not were stripped, raped, and then Hansen would allow them to escape before hunting these frightened women down with a rifle. Oh my god. Yeah. Wait, so if they complied, they were let go? Pretty much. Like, as long as they did exactly what he told them to do, he would just, not just, but he would rape them and then release them after threatening them. Why would none of them go to the police? You've got to think, like, these are, probably a lot of them are younger women. They're scared. Mm. They're in a town where they might not have anybody. And they wouldn't be taken seriously by police. Yeah. We're letting the offenders go after six months fair or like the sex worker who was raped her charge was dropped yeah so who would believe them yeah that's true stupid hot take hansen raped and released at least 30 women and he murdered at least 17 but there's most likely a lot more holy shit Despite the number of crimes this man committed, he was only charged for four of the murders. As a part of a plea bargain, Hansen agreed to show police to the locations of the other bodies, and he did help assist them finding 13 women. While not all of the women were able to be identified at the time, the bodies of Paula Goulding, Lisa Futrell, Sue Luna, Robin Plethley, Malia Larson, Teresa Watson, Angela Ferdin, and Tamara Peterson were found and returned to their families for proper burials. The aviation map showed more than 17 X's. However, those bodies have not been recovered, and Hansen refused to help law enforcement with the location of the few remaining women. Why? It has been speculated that the other remaining women might not be sex workers, so Hansen cannot justify their deaths. So, like, in his mind, like, like he said, there's no raping a sex worker. Like, he did not consider them human. They were animals that he could use for his pleasure and then hunt. Mm-hmm. Other women who went missing during Hansen's 12-year killing spree have been thought to have been his victims again as well. However, when questioned about these missing women, Hansen denied killing them. In 1984, Hansen was sentenced to 461 years plus life in prison without parole, which I find that so fascinating as a Canadian. Because, <laughs> like, our max is 25. <laughs> yeah, but you can still get, like, two or three life sentences. You can. You certainly can but they don't spell it out that you're going to be getting 461. No, you have three life sentences. Yeah. At 25 years a pop. Yep. That's funny. 400 years. Plus life. So in case you make it past those 461 years. 
<laughs> oh man, why didn't he get the death penalty? I don't know if the death penalty was in Alaska at the time. Oh, okay. I do not know that for sure. Okay. But that would be my speculation. Hmm. He served time in a penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, before being transferred back to Alaska in 1988. That's a lot of, like government funding to be shipping this asshole around prisoners are shipped around all the time no but alaska to pennsylvania is quite the hike it's a journey yeah it is a journey hansen would live the rest of his life behind bars until 2014 when he died of natural causes due to health issues his wife and children had attempted to stay in alaska but moved after a couple of years due to the children being harassed by association okay his second wife also divorced him while he was in prison so at least that's a theme although mm-hmm. i don't know if i could stay with a man that was charged with attempted rape and abduction no so i'm glad eventually she, she uh, i guess serial killing is where she drew the line yeah <sighs> no i agree with you uh, i don't know i don't know in pop culture, this case has been used as an inspiration for movies such as Frozen Ground and used in TV shows such as Criminal Minds and Law and & Order, as well as being covered in many documentaries. Like It's a very famous case due to him hunting people. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That would be the most terrifying thing. Uh-huh. Could you? I couldn't imagine... No. And, like, I think you would have this huge internal struggle of, do I run or do I just stand here and wait to be killed? Mm-hmm. Because I think, like, you know this guy who has, like, cabin in the woods is going to kill you. Like, he knows the terrain so much better than you. You're naked and barefoot. In Alaska. And, like, some of these ladies, it's got to be the winter time. So, like... Mm-hmm. Like, what chance do you have? Like, you know that if you run, you're just thrilling him yeah i don't know but then do you like do you do you make it easy for them for him i don't know or do you just find a hole and throw rocks at him yes climate tree i i don't i don't know i don't know what would be worse but like that would be such a shitty way to die mm-hmm. no you're horrifying absolutely yeah. horrifying no So a recent development was in 2021 when DNA testing was used to identify one of the unidentified women. Known as Horseshoe Harriet, kinship DNA was used to determine that this was actually Robin Fleckley. Oh, nice. The only remaining unidentified victim is still known as Ekletna Annie. And like I said, the exact number of his victims are unknown and... I think even with the X's on the aviation maps, because it's Alaska and they are shallow graves, the chances of them being found are very unlikely. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of animal activity or storms that they get. Yeah. It's very unlikely that they'll be recovered, but hopefully all of his victims are found. Wow. Yeah, so that is my tea for Trophy Killer. And... Like, he's just a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, he truly is. Like, I mean, to open his bakery, he faked a, uh, 
he uh, faked a robbery so he could claim insurance. Nice. Yeah. So like, he's just a shitty person. And that's just the frosting. <laughs> Ew. No. He deserved 400 years plus a life sentence. Mm-hmm. 461. <laughs> oh, my God. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. I oh, oh my god. So let's add hiking to the list. No outdoors. <laughs> well, and that also kills any dream I have of being a topless dancer. Cause like this podcast is just ruining a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry to take that away from you. You should be. I am. <laughs> Sex work is work. It is, and it, it's good money. It is. Those ladies are smarter than us. Right? <laughs> I agree. Oh, man, if I was flexible enough. Right? If I was balanced enough, if I had the coordination. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you... I'd fall on my face. <laughs> that's that's so horrible. It is. But thank you for your story. You're welcome. It's always... an interesting time i'm so glad you stuck with me this (laughs) all right so what is your tea my tea is for triangle Ooh. we are covering the alaska triangle we are on the same wavelength i know as soon as you said alaska i was like huh that is funny (laughs) that's actually so funny i like that what are we like four weeks in a row now right yeah yeah Yep, pretty good. It's, it's not just the letters keeping us on track. <laughs> we also don't talk about what we're covering no. until, like, day of. <laughs> so, today we are going to discuss the strange happenings of the Alaska Triangle. First named in 1972, the Alaska Triangle stretches from Anchorage in south-central Alaska to Juneau in the southeast panhandle to Utkiagvik. Utkiagvik, formerly Barrow, on Alaska's northern coast, creating the Alaska Triangle. Okay. I do have a map. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) This triangle includes vast areas of unexplored wilderness, towering forests, icy mountain peaks, and a grim tundra. Not the safest place in the world to begin with. No. But for the hundreds of search and rescue missions conducted every year, state troopers rarely find any trace of bodies, dead or alive. Just a vast wasteland of ice and trees. Yeah. Uh, So, since 1988, more than 16,000 people have vanished from this area. Holy. Every year, approximately four people go missing for every thousand Alaska residents. That's insane. Mm-hmm. This rate is twice the national average. Through many of the stories, it appears that there are some mystical forces at play rather than getting lost in the mountains of Alaska. Okay, I'm here for it. Like, this would be the place to be a serial killer. There's a lot of Alaskan serial killers. Because you have a wasteland of nothing. And animals to help you out, and... Like you said, there's nothing, there's no one out there. No, it's you and the bodies. Yep. There's no roads, there's no nothing. No. Many disappearances and other mysteries in Alaska have been solved. Have never been solved. (laughs) I'm like, why are we talking? (laughs) They've never been solved. Planes vanish, boats disappear, UFO sightings, bewildered military officers, and in one instance, the population of an entire village 
fleeing their homes to escape a giant hairy man-like creature. What? Joey, yes. what are you doing there? <laughs> oh, man. So, some of the disappearances from the Alaska Triangle. In, I'm pretty sure, yes, I did these in yearly order. Awesome. So, the oldest one was in 1950. A U.S. Air Force plane, a Douglas C-54 Skymaster, left Anchorage towards Minnesota with 44 people on board. Eight crew members... Three engineers, 34 service members, and two civilians. The plane was expected to make regular radio contact as it traveled, but all communications stopped shortly after taking off, and the plane never arrived in Minnesota. Uh-oh. More than 75 U.S. and Canadian aircraft partic- aircrafts participated in the search for the missing plane, but the aircraft and passengers were never seen again. Holy. How do you lose an entire plane? Right. Like, they never found anything. Like, no no evidence of a crash? Nothing. nothing. Holy. Right? That's wild. Yeah. So, the next was the disappearance of the United States of America reps Hale Boggs, the House Majority Leader from Louisiana, and Nick Bajic, a freshman congressman from Alaska. They were one of the first cases to spark widespread interest in the Alaska Triangle. The representatives, as well as an aide, were flying on a small plane between Anchorage and Juneau on October 16, 1972, Mm -hmm. when the plane disappeared. The disappearance triggered one of the country's largest ever search and rescue operations involving 40 aircrafts, 50 civilian planes, and 39 days of searching a 32,000 square miles. Yet the search yielded not a shred of evidence. Oh my god. No wreckage, no debris, no human remains, nothing. No fires. Holy. The search was called off after 39 days. After this incident, Congress passed a law mandating the installation of emergency locator transmitters in all U.S. civilian aircrafts. Good. Well, yes, there should be something. Like, you should be able to find something. Yeah, two planes shouldn't just go missing. No. I like how the one with 44 people, though, it was like, eh, you lose some. Yeah, <laughs> two congressmen. Damn. We need those men. Yeah. We don't need the army men, but we need the two congressmen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Classic. I know. <laughs> In 1990, a Cessna 340 carrying a pilot and four passengers vanished, never to be heard from again. Oh my god. Bye bye. Yeah. Like, I still want to go to Alaska, but maybe not that part. (laughs) So, next, we have a 73 year old World War II veteran, Leonard Lane, who was enjoying the 4th of July parade in Fairbanks. I'm sorry to cut in. I just really enjoy names that are like alliteration, like Leonard Lane. I know. I enjoy that. It's very satisfying. (laughs) It is. He was enjoying the 4th of July parade in Fairbanks in 1995 when he vanished. Police had no leads, no information on what may have happened to the man, though he was declared legally dead in 1997. The case remains unsolved. Like, it's an old man. Where could he have gone? Right. Like, it's just wild. Next would be Thomas Anthony Newsy 
was a nurse who traveled through the, throughout the state and didn't have a permanent address. Instead, he stayed in motels during his assignments. He'd, be he'd been staying in Anchorage, but was working in Bethel a quick flight away. Newsy was reported missing on June 19th, 2001, after he didn't show up for work. Investigators discovered gas station surveillance footage of Newsy that was captured the night before he went missing. Newsy was in the station buying smokes and snacks with a woman. Later, housekeepers at the motel said they encountered a strange man and woman in Newsy's room. Newsy's bicycle was found at his nearby storage unit, and his jeep was found 12 miles outside of Anchorage. Newsy, the woman, or the man were never found again. Holy. Like, just fucking disappear. It's wild. Next, we have Richard Lyman Griffiths from Spokane, Washington. He invented a wilderness survival cocoon, and in the summer of 2006, he headed into the wilderness of southeast Alaska to test his invention. Yes. I love a survival cocoon. I need one. <laughs> Is it just like a fancy sleeping bag? I mean, I don't know, but oh. I need it. Okay. I just want to be cocooned. <laughs> That's fair. Unfortunately, no one reported him missing for a year. Oh my god. When authorities began searching for him, they learned a bus dropped off Griffiths along the Alaska Highway. He stopped at a lodge near the White River where he left some of his gear and told people he planned to hike upriver to McCarthy, a small town in the Wrangell Street Elias National Park. He was never seen again. Since Griffiths told friends he might spend the winter in Alaska, no one worried about him for several months. Finally, a friend called the Canadian Mounties and reported him missing. Well, good. His friend had no idea where Griffiths was planning to go to test his wilderness cocoon. No traces has ever been found of him or his bright orange cocoon. See, he did everything right, other than telling his friends where he was going. Right. Like, I would tell someone. I would at least, like, drop a pin. Yeah. Been like, okay, I'm going, like, a hundred clicks this way from this point. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I like to do solo hiking. Mm-hmm. And... I really want one of those, like, really fancy GPSs that, like, tracks your locations and you can send it to people every, like, so often. And if you don't check in, then, like, an alert goes off. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I really want one. So, like, you know, if something happens. Yeah. You can find at least the GPS. Hopefully me too. But. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Next, we have Jail Tiara Hamblin, a 20-year-old mom who went out to dinner with her roommate on the night of October 11th in 2014. The woman returned home, but Jael decided to go out again on her own. The next morning, the roommate found Jael's bed unmade and her car still in the driveway. Her purse was found buried in the snow five months later. She hasn't been seen since the night she disappeared. It's gotta be aliens. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's gotta be. Like, what else other explanation is there? A serial killer? Okay, but if it was a serial killer, like, you'd think that there would be... Something. Something. Oh, like, even, like, a speck of something. Even if it was, like, all these separate killers, like, just mm -hmm. each one matching up to somebody, you'd think that there'd be some sort of evidence. I know. It's just, it's so weird. 
<laughs> I'm also getting very like the suicide forest vibes from it. Mm, but yes. instead of actual bodies being in the forest, it's just like nothing. A different dimension. Mm. Maybe. What's the vibes I'm getting? It's my I feel that. I get that. There is no scientific value behind that. It is just my personal ideas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you say so. <laughs> So next we have Shanna Oman, who was visiting a friend in Fairbanks on June 3rd, 2019. Police were called six days later when Oman's roommate said she never returned home. Her destination was Eagle River, but her cell phone last pinged in a tower on June 4th. A police dog and helicopter were used to search for the woman, but again, never found. Lastly, we have Frank Minano who is 69 and was, was reported missing from Minana on August 17th of 2020. Minana, located about 60 miles west of Fairbanks, is in the heart of the Alaska Triangle. His family told authorities that they believed he became lost in the woods, but reporting from NBC11 in Fairbanks described Minano as a traditional educator and mentor on culture, hunting, subsistence living, and respecting the land. Okay. Usually, if you are teaching people to live off the land, you are able to circumnavigate the land. You would hope. One would hope. Authorities believe Manano took shelter in a nearby cabin the first night he was missing, but after more than a year, there is still no sign of him. Oh, man. That is wild. Yeah. The indigenous people of this region, the Tlingit and... Sishman Tishian? T-S-I-M-S-H-I-N. Okay. People, indigenous to southeastern Alaska, tell stories about a mythical shape-shifting demon named Kushtaka. Ooh. Kushtaka roughly translate to land otter man. Oh. According to legend, this creature appears to travelers in an irresistible form, such as a screaming child for help, Okay, that would not lure me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'd be like... Like, where's I'm, your mother? Yeah, somebody needs to get you and it's not gonna be me. <laughs> and that is why you are still here, but like, I 100%, if I scream, seen a screaming baby with no adults around, I would go up to it and be like, where's your mom? Nine one one. Yeah, yeah, an emergency. Right. Can you take the child? No. No. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So the Kushtaka lures their victims to a river where they either tear the victims to shred or turn them into another Kushtaka. Okay. I wanna know what the requirements are. Like, that's a pretty different fifty fifty. Like, what is like I'm gonna carry you to shreds, or like, I don't know. Like I, I, I just find that very intriguing. But it is one theory as to why so mm-hmm. many people are disappearing. That doesn't explain how planes just vanish, though. All y'all, Kushtaka. <laughs> it doesn't say they can fly. They're half man, half otter. I get that. Maybe they landed, and maybe the whole plane landed. I don't know. Yeah. So then, stories of a Bigfoot-like creature, or a monster called Hairy Man. That's like nail on the head, I love it. I know. <laughs> also, also abound in small villages throughout Alaska. 
In the 1930s and 1940s, after several villagers from Portlock, Alaska, on the Kenai Peninsula disappeared under mysterious circumstances, townfolk became convinced a giant man-like creature was preying on the residents. The remaining villagers packed up their homes and left. The houses of the ghost town in Portlock remain. Oh, that... I want to go there. I want to explore. Same. That would be so cool. Right? Next, some believe that the Alaska Triangle is home to its own electromagnetic vibrations. Mm. Also known as an energy vortex that affects our physical world. One example of this vortex is the Bermuda Triangle. Yes. But a more common example would be North and South Poles. Okay. These type of magnetic energies are thought to be swirling centers of energy concentrated in specific places where the energy crackles most intensely. The energy radiates in a spiral cone shape, clockwise or counterclockwise, creating positive or negative effects. The centers are believed to have varying effects on humans, including anything from confusion to emotional changes. Electronics reading electronic readings in Alaska have found large concentrations of magnetic anomalies, some of which have disrupted compasses to the point that they are as much as 30 degrees off. Wow. Some search and rescue workers have reported having audio hallucinations, disorientation, and light headaches. Wow. That's definitely like a possibility if these pilots are getting confused. Right. And maybe like they just back into the side of a mountain. Right. Mm. They're like, or what if somebody falls into a cave or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no coming out of that if you're disoriented or you're hallucinating. Yeah, totally. With many planes disappearing, here is one where planes actually appear. Oh, wow. That's a twist. <laughs> out of nowhere. Oh, we are going to talk about the extraordinary flight of JAL-1628. On November 17th of 1986, one of the top documented UFO cases in history was recorded in the skies above Alaska. Oh. Now, I'm going to preface this with saying that, like, I found, like, a 30-page article on exactly what happened down to the detail. Oh, wow. I have summarized this. Oh. You, you didn't want to read 30 pages? No. Okay. If you say so. <laughs> That's okay. I'm down for the summary. Okay. I like a summary. <laughs> so, in November 17, 1989, three UFOs played tag with the Japan Airlines JAL cargo flight 1628 for 30 minutes. The UFOs were tracked on military and civilian radar, and the entire encounter was verified by a high-level administrator of the Federal Aviation Administration. Wow. The incident received media coverage all over the world. Japan Airlines Captain Kenju Tarachi was a senior airline pilot with more than a 1,000 hours flying experience. On November 17th, Captain Tarachi spotted three unidentified aircrafts pacing the plane very close on either side. Ground control verified that there was no additional aircrafts in the area, so could not verify the flying objects. The three separate aircrafts, all of which followed the plane's flight pattern for roughly 400 miles before before they disappeared, before they disappeared after about 30 minutes. The entire time the pilots reported 
the unusual aircraft darting in and out of their line of sight and performing strange aerial maneuvers that are unlike what anyone has seen with the average plane. That's so cool. Then, moments later, on the radar screen, a large green round object appeared. This gigantic UFO, later described by Trachi as the shape of a walnut and the size of two aircraft carriers, shadowed Flight 1628 for 150 miles, terrifying the crew. I bet. Holy. That's that's so cool. I bet. <laughs> Chills. Right? Radar records reportedly by the military controller indicated that the UFOs were traveling thousands of miles per hour as they maneuvered in the airspace around the plane. Mm-hmm. Now, despite the government's attempt to cover up this incredible encounter, crucial evidence was hidden and later revealed. This was the first genuine time a UFO had been recorded for a length of time on radar, making this one of the most infamous cases in UFO history. Mm-hmm. So, in the 30-page document, I found pretty much the entire, like, government of of the united states came in and tried to take all of the information and hide it and was like you see nothing here and then one lower level guy just kind of like pocketed some of the information and leaked it good yeah like it's it's wild i don't know why they try to hide stuff i i do not understand like i get that they're like people don't be afraid or they're trying to control everything, but someone always leaks it. Right. That on I I agree. So now I literally have this written in here. Insert skeptic blurb. Oh. So the most likely scientific explanation is simply geographical. The state's massive glaciers are filled with giant holes, hidden caves, and building-sized crevices. Mm. All of these provide the perfect burial grounds for aircrafts and crash landings and if a hiker becomes stranded the fast moving year-round snow can easily bury any trace of a person or airplane within hours once a plane or person is buried in fresh snow the likelihood of finding them is extremely low i mean fair but i choose to not believe the skeptic blurb there's no fucking way. Like, okay, some of them maybe. Maybe, yeah. You know what? I will give you some. There's a possibility. Like, cocoon guy? Okay. You know, he's in the wilderness. But, maybe. like, Chicky going out for lunch with her friends? Yeah. No way. No, that's aliens. Mm-hmm. Or just alternate dimensions. Right. Just walking through. And yeah. getting stuck. <laughs> I, yeah, 100%. So, the references I used for this was TravelChannel.com, TheTravel.com, Legends of America, Medium.com, Discovery.com, and TheManual.com. That was super cool. I'm glad you covered that. Thank you. It, it was such an interesting read, and for something so off, it actually has a lot of information. They now have a documentary on Discovery Plus about it. And it's two seasons. I think it's 16 episodes. Um, wow. That's definitely on my bucket list to read or to watch. <laughs> watch it. it seems so interesting. Mm-hmm, definitely. I want to learn all about this. So yeah. That was super cool. Super cool. All right. Well, that wraps us up for tea. 
you will have to catch us next Tuesday as we cover you. Ooh, we're already at you. I know. I can't believe it. Four more letters after you. Really? Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, like, you're not <laughs> That's incredible. I know. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for everyone who listens. Please make sure to rate and review us. We do appreciate all of your downloads. Yes, we do. And like shout out, we've got all of our longtime listeners. So like, thank you, Belgium, for like, we see you. We definitely appreciate you. Same with we've got a few consistent listeners in the U.S. We see you. Like, we really appreciate you. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to See Is For Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy. Or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast. Or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, please email us at C for creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.